Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 137 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is T.S. Little. I've had T.S. on the podcast before for episode 102. We talked about perfectionism. Today, T.S. and I talk about his concept of speed getting trapped in the tissues. It was a great conversation. We kind of talked about the primal fear that comes up around slowing down. Does that, does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> it did for me. Tias is a unique and skillful teacher. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he directs his school, Prajna Yoga, with his wife, Surya. He started studying the work of Iyengar in the 80s. He traveled to Mysore in the late 80s and studied with Patabi Joyce. He's also a licensed massage therapist. He's done cranial sacral training, trauma training, and he continues to study in Tibetan Buddhism and Zen. So he pulls a lot of different streams together, which I really, really appreciate about him to create a teaching that's very true to him. He is going to be at Love Story Yoga this weekend from Friday the 25th through Sunday the 27th of January. He is teaching a series of workshops. You can sign up for one. You can sign up for all of them. This is in San Francisco, California. And if you are going to the Saturday afternoon workshop from one to four, I will see you there. Enjoy the interview with Tias. So you let me know via email that you're working on a new book. That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. It's and, a slow, arduous uh, process, glacier pace. But yeah, I'm about halfway through. Oh, wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got, at least you've got some momentum going. Like, I feel like the beginning must be the hardest. Yeah, that's true. Endings are hard too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, how did the idea for the book come about? Are you can you share it yet? What the focus is? Sure. I mean, I I wanted to have this book very different than the first one, which was quite technical on the subtle body, lots of Sanskrit, lots of anatomy. So this one is more conversational and more essay form of just looking at some aspects of the practice that I have, you know, encountered in my own journey to be challenging and and yet very important, and that I think also relate to others in their own journey. So it's all around the idea of the path. The book is pointed mm-hmm. around the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you do share some personal stories as well? Like I within the yeah. Yeah, great. I wouldn't wouldn't say it's a memoir. But yeah, I kind of refer to my own meanderings as I put together these chapters. Where are you now in your meandering? (laughs) Where are you these days? Well, I'm in a chapter called Not Knowing, and then just finished one before that on perfectionism, uh, working with the demon of perfectionism, one of my favorite topics. And then um, prior to that is this chapter on how speed gets trapped in the body. Oh, wow. That sounds like a very salient topic for all of us right now. I think it really is. So say a little more about that one. So, I mean, it's like, it's very visual. I can, I felt it as soon as you said it. What is the focus of that one? Well, I mean, essentially we live in a culture of speed. Um, We may not realize that necessarily, but everything moves at such a dizzying pace around us that it's in really in almost 
possible to not get pulled into the speed vortex. Mm. So partly because we carry around these devices with us that give us such access to high-speed connectivity that I think inevitably we're also hooked in. And it's radical thought to kind of excise ourselves, you know, pull ourselves away from um, or pull ourselves out of the vortex. I'm not even sure we can do it by ourselves. I think we need a, a coach or a teacher or certainly a dedicated practice to help draw us out of the, the you know, the, the pinwheeling vortex of speed. And I think it's not only in, you know, urban centers, which of course um, most people live in, but, you know, even in rural areas, even in Shanti Little Santa Fe, we get, get stuck in, you know, in eddies of speed. And do you notice it in yourself as like, if you look back on the arc of your personal practice, do you find it more challenging now that we have the devices to even slow yourself down or get like address that speed in the tissues? I think it is. I think it's part that my life has gotten so much fuller. Before I started teaching yoga, I would, you know, practice for three hours a day and then have Mm -hmm. a big meal and and then hike in the canyons. But the more we take on, the more I take on, the more I find that it's very hard to kind of step off of the speed, you know, mill, like the treadmill. Mm -hmm. Um, So it takes more discipline, I think. You know, I really cherish the quiet hours in the morning before the recycling truck, you know, goes down the the avenue or, you know, before my neighbors get up. And so that way, you know, I, I, I set aside a time where I can do a, a practice of communion. But even then, I, I sometimes I feel, depending on my sleep and my dreams, how speed gets um, tra- trapped in my tissues. And I think that's what happens with speed is that it goes into our connective tissues, certainly goes into our glandular structures, goes into our nerves. And so really, you know, the advent of stress, a culture of stress, and the kind of readily uh, ways that cortisol gets secreted into our bloodstream from levels of, a, of, of high speed and stress, it's hard to really find a time and a place where we're um, we're not we're not caught in those you know speed lanes so yeah it's 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 difficult it certainly is takes more discipline i think and i think for people who do yoga online you know it's easy to be doing a class on you know one of these you know yoga channels and but then get interrupted by calls and texts and how do we really carve out space and time for us to really do you know what I like to call that communion practice where we can slow down enough so we can experience deep stillness? I notice that when I do my practice online, in fact, one of my intentions for this new year is to get myself back into a studio on a regular basis. Just having a really irregular schedule with having a child and pickups and my husband traveling a lot, like I've depended more and more and more on home practice which is not a bad thing, but I noticed that the more I practice online, the more resistant I am to a longer period of, of time of a class. Like I used to do an hour online and then it got to 45 minutes and now I do like 30 minutes and my meditation, you know, and it's like, it somehow doesn't create as much of a space. There's not someone holding that space for me 
to actually slow down. Mm. I'm just sort of trying to, this is what I noticed in myself anyway, especially in the past six months, I'm just trying to make sure that I do it and fit it in. Mm. Well, I think there's a kind of neurological, you know, reflex arc that kicks in when we're, you know, have our screens nearby, which is to kind of either move quickly or to go from one thing to the other. So in the culture of speed, you know, we're all prone to distraction or, you know, restlessness, one of the five hindrances in the Buddhist teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, the kind of, you know, flitting from one thing to the next, I think it just kicks in when, when we are on our screens in any way, shape or form. So I think it's what happens is we just get caught up in these amped up spin cycles of accelerated pace. And we don't realize how it affects our physiology, our fluids, our fluid tides, our electrochemical signals, and our brain chemistry. So that's why I think the practices around, you know, really dropping into, you know, what Iyengar would always call call the repose within the pose, you know, to find that stillness or niroda, you know, the deep stillness is even more important now than ever. Mm -hmm. What would you say to, I'm just sort of hearing like my family's voices in my head, (laughs) not, not my immediate family, but what would you say to people who feel like, well, we just live in faster times and, and we get more done and we're actually moving from thing to thing is okay. And we're more efficient because I do also notice yoga classes moving more quickly than they used to, just the pace. I feel like yoga teachers must feel a certain amount of pressure or it's just hard. It's just hard to maintain that space for people. So how would you respond to that point of view? Well, I just would respond probably by saying that speed is addictive. We all feel the rush, you know, that habitual rush when we are going lickety split down the track and sending and receiving and taking care of messages right as we walk into class. And it feels, of course, like we're making progress. But of course, in the yoga tradition, you know, progress isn't made by speed. It's it's such an irony, of course, because it's necessary to, to slow down enough so that our biorhythms historically would really yoke to the the movement of the earth, the spin of the earth and the change of the seasons, really that diurnal rhythm or circadian rhythm that is so connected to Kundalini and the brainstem and the deep breathing. So, you know, we're so far away from, you know, navigating by the stars or the moonlight. Really, we are caught in these speed cycles and, and we feel like we're making progress because collectively we all buy into that. But when it comes to really, I think, to evolve in our sadhana, really the only way is is to slow down far enough so that something else can can kick in. And uh, and that's really connecting to our, our deepest rhythms, our inherent life force, our, you know, the para-atman, the, the great spirit, however you identify that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I find myself, you know, like I'm driving and I'm moving along, you know, at a good clip and then suddenly I get stuck in traffic and, and my body's still going. You know, I'm 
I'm, I'm caught in this speed, speed cycle where I can feel the rush moving through me. And that's a really, I think, a, in, important to sort of recognize when, you know, we have heart is racing or the nerves are, are fully active. And maybe that's when we can learn to sort of drop back and in and, and find our deep uh, respiratory rhythm while we're on the fly. Mm-hmm. It is so true when you're saying, like, we think we're getting more done. I think that is the, the appeal to the devices and the addictive quality. It's like, you think you're getting more done, but really it's like spilling a glass of water. Like it's going to fill up whatever space you give it, you know, like all of that, that feeling of getting all those things done. If you give yourself all day to quote unquote, get things done, you're going to be doing things all day. And if you gave yourself all day and all night, you would be doing things all day and all night. But it's not necessarily, well, first of all, it's not really living. Like it's not living in the, in the present to constantly be focusing on getting things done. I mean, I'm talking about myself here. I'm, hmm. I'm really, I have a relentless inner driver, but also it's not more efficient. We, we, it really is just that addictive quality. I really notice more and more that I have to say to myself, put your phone down, like just actually put it down. You're not doing anything. Mm. Well, yeah, and that, you know, putting down the phone, I mean, it really admittedly, it, it's risky, you know, because we feel like if we don't keep up this pace, that we're going to fall behind and we're going to mm. lose out. And if we don't upgrade, you know, right away, we're going to not be able to stay current with the information. So, you know, it's fed from the top down in the systems that we live in, the telecommunication system, the media, and our social networks. And yet all of that sort of gets caught into the body where I think it really affects dream. It affects our sleep. It affects dreams. It affects our capacity to sit. So oftentimes, you know, people park their sitting bones on the cushion and their mind is just whirring along like an out-of-control helicopter. And so then it takes discipline to be able to, well, in a kind of endurance and, and staying power to stay with all of that sitting practice. Otherwise, you know, like the whirring blade of a helicopter, we go round and round. And so, of course, you know, the word for that in our tradition is samsara. So really, are we not in this culture of speed participating samsara in a, such an obvious way? I think of a little passage from Rollo May. He was a American psychologist and philosopher. And he just said, you know, it's an ironic habit that human beings have that we run faster when we've lost our way. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, we just keep accelerating, you know, personally as well as collectively. So yeah, it's a big risk to, to slow down. And just laughing to myself, remembering an, uh, one of my bosses once saying to me, yeah, um, what's the, it's a, it's a common expression, but I'd never heard it before. You have to be like a shark. You have to keep swimming or you'll die. It's <laughs> just a horrible, horrible thought, you know, like, no, but, but that, but I think that's what you're describing is it feels primal to slow down in this type of age where there's just so much going on that it invo- invokes a primal fear primal survival fear. I think it does. And out of that primal fear, we're prone to grasp. You know, we grasp at our bodies, at being, you know, beautiful and 
and super flexy, or we grasp at wealth, you know, it, we grasp at fame, notoriety. We're such a culture of graspers. And, and I think the culture of speed really is so seductive that it, it makes us grasp even more. So, and I think a, le- a lot of it gets embedded in the diaphragm, in the solar plexus, the surya chakra, in the gut, in the jaw, the neck. Really, that's why being on retreat is so important. You know, I do a, several times a year a five-day silent retreat myself. And mm. I always encourage my students because, you know, it takes a good two days to sort of wean ourselves off of that speed. And then when we start dropping in, that's when, you know, we connect to the magnum mysterium. We connect to that the great mystery. We connect to that which is outside of our own grasping tendency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It's That's when it starts to feel beautiful again to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, of course, collectively, we sort of buy into this culture of speed that is literally burning. We're burning ourselves up. Mm. So, you know, the, the good question is, well, okay, to what extent can I, in my own life, you know, experience enough stillness and silence and slow down? And then, you know, is it even possible that we could do this collectively, that we don't like, you know, lemmings just drive ourselves right off the cliff in terms of the carbon that we're emitting into the atmosphere and the resources that we're gobbling up and the species that are being lost yearly? What's going to be left if we can kind of reduce our collective rush? So that, of course, is so important for us all to attend to if we can. No, that's a really important connection. I I hadn't really thought of it that way. That, like you said, that feeling, that human feeling, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's human of grasping. It's like the busier we get, and and the more we have access to, and the more we feel like we need to consume the more we will consume <laughs> instead of being able to sit down and like to step back and reflect about what it is that we actually need and, or what, you know, or what we need to do to, to stop just endlessly draining the resources around us on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. That's really the prerogative of the Sangha in a way, you know, the community of like, okay, here we are. If we can collectively, you know, slow down, the steam engine that we all, you know, mindfully, then we will all have more time. You know, that's of course the interesting thing is mm-hmm. we feel like in the culture of speed, really in this net of speed that we're all we're all linked into, we feel like we never have enough time. I certainly feel that way. I mean, if I could have more of anything, it would simply be time. Mm-hmm. Yogis knew this really back from the the earliest teachings in the Vedas and the Upanishad is that really time is something that we we make or we contrive and and so the kala chakra you know the wheel of time is something we're spinning on so so quickly and it is possible to experience you know timelessness spaciousness and timelessness how do we do that well um, slowing down our breath uh, sleeping really deeply opening bodhicitta in our hearts, you know, loving kindness, and not, you know, simply 
plowing ourselves, rushing through our day, day after day. I, I've been feeling this this so much lately that I've been noticing it more. And part of it is like was having a small child. You know, my child is now six. So she's out of that phase where she's like a whirling dervish. You know, they when they're in that really little phase and they're kind of just exploring thing to thing and it's hard to it's hard to perceive time in that phase but now that i'm out of that phase with her i do have to catch myself and just say like slow down you don't have to rush through every single thing because like you said it's time is just what we perceive it to be and if we slow down time slows down and then we can just perceive what's actually happening around us instead of feeling like everything is just whipping by if we're like on a motorcycle, you know, and everything is just at full, full speed. I really do notice it in, in myself lately, like that desire to, and also maybe it's middle age. It's like, I don't want everything to rush by anymore. I want to really savor it and notice it while it's here, while I'm here. Yeah. Well, you know, life at the beginning is so precious and we that can slow our sense of time down, you know, especially if you're a mother and you're in that first cocooning phase um, a year or two. But also at the very end of life, time slows way down. Like my father died just uh, seven months ago and and I was with him the last few weeks of his life. And, you know, we were outside of time. Hmm. My brother had flown in from India and I had come in from Santa Fe and we were back in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he was located. There was a sense of, oh my gosh, you know, we're off of the the spin of time right now. And we realized that, gee, how much of our lives are totally predicated by the way we set up our schedules and our itineraries and our, you know, what's dropping into our inbox. When we step out of that, something else can happen. And what that something else is, of course, is really where the rasa is, you know, the juice, the rasa, the power. And so yogis, of course, we have to, well, all of us, but those of us who are interested in, in this journey have to kind of step off of that roundabout where we just keep going round and round so that we can suddenly be open to something outside of the spin. Yeah. That's, was it kind of, I mean, I'm sorry about your father's passing. Was there something kind of beautiful about experiencing the time slowing down in that time that you were with him? Oh, totally. I mean, it was just remarkable to see Prana slowly leave the body and I was with him when he took his last breath. And, you know, the nurses would come in and take a pulse and, you know, take his meds and there was all that, but then there was also, you know, the time honored that, that, you know, life and death kind of happen in a time honored way. And, and that this of course is the spin of the globe and the movement of the stars and, you know, the seasons also are time honored. So we're of course whirling so fast, you know, in our forebrains ahead, way ahead of the rather slow, you know, pace the way life goes. And, so yeah, so being able to, when I was with my family, to slow down far enough to be able to just be with what arises. And that in and of itself was such a great teaching. It's, you're right. I mean, the only other time that I was truly in that state was when my child was first born. 
because you just have to attend you are you know responsible for a life and you have to attend to what's happening to that life in every minute yeah I mean, I think really that, you know, the Taoists have a beautiful way of describing this when they talk about, you know, not doing and kind of going along with the culture of speed and how speed gets trapped in the body is this idea of what we always are doing, you know, and some of us are really good doers, you know, mm-hmm. accomplished doers. And then there's this teaching in in the spiritual training of, you know, of not doing, it's called Wu Wei in, uh, in Chinese. When we can not do, that something else can, can kick in, can arise. But that's so risky because we feel like if we, you know, we're not getting anywhere if we don't do anything. But of course, it's an irony so hard for our egos to grasp and for us to make sense of cognitively is that if we don't do, then we're not going to be making progress. But in the spiritual training, when you're not doing, you're slowing way down and you're not doing, you, you know, overcome all things, as it said in the the Tao Te Ching. Hmm. So that's a particularly hard lesson for all of us, because not only are we going fast, but we, we attend to all these items on our to-do list doing, doing, doing. And then it's a very difficult lesson to start not doing. And, you know, when we put our sitting bones onto our cushion and we start, hopefully we all are on the path to practicing more meditation and sitting quietly in that communion. It's very hard because we don't relate to this. We're like, what? I'm not making any progress. I'm not doing anything. But boy, at some point, I think people will start to feel the power of the not doing or the power of the slowing down, it's immensely potent. Mm-hmm. It's like plugging in your own battery. <laughs> it's funny that I'm using a technological reference <laughs> for that, but, but it is, it's like recharging yourself. curious as to when you came up with this concept of speed getting trapped in the tissues, how that came to you. Was it something that you felt in your body or during your practice? It's such a great visual. Mm. I think really it came clear to me when I was studying the trauma and healing work. And I studied with Peter Levine's school, somatic experiencing and Um, reading his first book, Waking the Tiger. And it was when you're healing trauma of any kind, you know, psychosomatically, the way to do it is slowing down. Mm. There's, There's no way you can heal trauma at speed. And of course, you know, usually in the traumatic episode, the body gets overwhelmed, like a car accident or, you know, a slip and a fall. Or, or something, things happen too quickly. So really the primary way to heal the tissues diaphragm, mandibular region, the cranial tissue, the nerve tissue is by slowing down. And then, you know, that just ties in so readily with the pashana, you know, the process of seeing into. 
And the only way we can really practice mindfulness and seeing into is by slowing down because it's very hard to see when you're going at speed. I mean, you know, like these giant slalom racers when they're going, you know, 90 miles an hour. It's like, how can you, how can you be present and remarkable when those who do that can? But generally when we're healing the body and we're nourishing the spirit, connecting to the deep rhythms, the shakti, the deep rhythms of the heart, mind, the slowing down is, it's the first gate. It's the first mm-hmm. good dharma gate to, to move through. I'm just thinking of my, my yoga teachers out there. Do you practice your asana practice differently now? Or do you have any, any thoughts around... I mean, obviously, a slower approach would be, I think, the first the first thing. But are there any any poses that you feel are just great for ameliorating this this experience of speed? Yeah, well, my practice changed so much. I mean, when I was doing Ashtanga Vinyasa and I went to Mysore in 1989, and you know, I was doing like oh, I don't know, 80 poses in one practice. Now, I'll, you know, I'll do more like 18. So I do fewer poses, I hold the poses longer, and I really connect to my somatic rhythms, my, the movement of my heart and the pulsation of my nerve, the movement of, of flow through my connective tissue. So then I'm really just practicing Vipassana in asana, you know, just observing, being with, sensing. I can still, you know, spark it up and, you know, fire my, my quads and, and do strong practice, um, but it's still, you know, it, it has the the feel of this um, sensitivity of just really observing what what is, and and I use that as an antidote for the rest of my life, which you know mm-hmm. tends to be so high octane. So I mean, it's not a surprise that so many yoga classes are moving at such high speed. It's basically you know replicating the culture. But when one's been around the block a few times, you know, maybe five years, 10 years into the practice, like, oh, okay, you know, this is really about getting into the deep, you know, the deep rivers, deep currents. You're not a minnow darting around, but you're the big fish, you know, with this deep staying power, you know, uh, observing really what's, what's coming up in your body mind. I know that when I get out of, when speed gets trapped in my tissues, I'm now realizing that that does happen. If I'm, you know, on a deadline or something and I've missed a bunch of practice or, or I'm just not like attending to myself in a consistent way, that's when repetitive strain arises. I've definitely had different repetitive stress injuries in my shoulders and my hands and my arms. And it just makes me think of that what you're talking about might have a connection to you know, the chronic pain that so much of us, so many of us experience that it can have like an actual real effect. I don't know. It just, it's, it just seems all connected to me. It's I'm putting it all together as you're talking about it. Yeah. I think the habit body, the habit mind, you know, generally it functions, thrives on, you know, uh, speed or, or, you know, moving really quickly. And so repetitive strain really stem, may stem from really a, a practice that's not necessarily that conscientious, but just moving so quickly. So yeah, one of the ways I think we can break our pain cycles or 
our patterns of holding is by you know starting to explore new pathways of movement and the way we do that explore new pathways of movement is by slowing down Mm -hmm. or you know i'd like to call it sensory awareness training Um, a lot of work i do on the floor that involves sliding and gliding so by sensing in our tissues and our pulses we can really uh, start to connect to a different part of our our fascial structure that's really uh, exciting that opens up a whole new arena a whole new awareness yeah completely i had jill miller on a few times last year um the fascia queen (laughs) and yeah it feels like there's just a whole new world being uncovered there I didn't realize you were adding some different types of movement. So are you incorporating different types of movement into your yoga asana classes or are they separate types of classes? No, I have kind of a yin style practice that I do that's influenced by the Feldenkrais work and Thomas Hanna's teaching, which is really, you know, a lot of um, slide and glide on the floor. So it involves you know, myofascial release and joint manipulation and, and uh, asana combined. But yeah, they're long sequences on the floor. I use the anacronym satya, sensory awareness training for yoga. Mm. And, um, very healing, you know, very nourishing to the tissues. And, and it's all done basically out of shavasana. The movements, you know, emerge out of shavasana, return back to shavasana. So yeah, it's very potent practice. Do you have any of those classes on Yoga Glow, TS? Some of them are featured on that site in bits and pieces. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm going to go check that out. Yeah. 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 And you're coming to San Francisco soon too. And I will see you, I have to figure out my childcare, but I will definitely see you at some point during, during that weekend. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll be at the love story here in at the end of January. I think it's 25th, 26th, 27th. Yep, it's coming yeah. right up. I'm so excited and I will make sure that everybody knows how to how to find out more about it and come come study with you because it's an amazing experience. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're writing another book and that it's sort of an essay format. I, I think that's just so perfect for you. you oh. I mean, you have such a command of language and also you create a story just out of the words that you choose and the, and it's so visual the way that you use language so i'm really excited about that and definitely let me know when that's coming out and you can come back on and talk about it some more oh good yeah yeah, yeah thank you for that yeah last thing i wanted to mention the culture of speed which is important of course is that you know, so much, so many of us can relate to is that, you know, this, the food we eat is created by way of speed, you know? So the cultivation of food happens so fast. And, and then like urban development, you know, where buildings, you know, the concrete sprawl just extends outward in all directions. And so I think there's a way that we can reflect on this uh, culture of speed off of the mat and this involves being in relationships you know oftentimes we go through relationships so quickly Hmm. so there's something about slowing down you know with our what we eat and how we think of our environment and our our buildings and our relationships that hopefully will create really positive change i guess i feel this change sometimes you know when i'm meditating and there's that website that can 
you know, uh, keep track of everyone who's meditating at the same time. Maybe there's several sites. I like don't that. know about this website. Yeah, and you can, you know, it gives you a numerical stat as to how many people are sitting at the same time. And you know, I've seen, wow, you know, there are like over, you know, seventy-five thousand people sitting at wow. one time. So you know, if collectively we can all nudge towards the slowdown. I think that we can heal in, um, you know, not only our bodies, but in a collective way. And I think even though um, it'll take time, I uh, have hope and promise that it's possible. I do too. I do too. And I thank you for that. I appreciate we have to keep supporting each other and staying positive. So I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Tias. It's great having you. And I'm really excited to see you soon. Likewise, Andrea. Well, be well and uh, much love and we'll see you in a few weeks. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks as always for listening. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 137. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. I appreciate it so much and it really does help other people find the podcast. And if I don't see you this weekend at Tia's workshop, I hope to see you somewhere on the path soon. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.